Hi, I'm Morgan. I'm Odette. And I'm Madeline. And, and we, we love Christian fiction. fiction. We love it so much that we wanted to talk about it on a podcast. Each episode, we will read classics of the genre or new releases. And discuss the good, the bad, and the ugly. So come join us. Hello, listeners. Welcome. Hi, everybody. We're so excited you joined us for another episode of Redeeming the Podcast. Yay. So um, today, I'm like, I can't stop smiling, guys. <laughs> I love this book so much. It was so good. I came, uh, my husband came home and I had basically finished the book during, while my kids were napping this afternoon. And I had basically finished the book. And so he came home and we were eating dinner. And I just, I guess I was smiling goofily. And he was like, what's wrong? <laughs> I was like, this book is so good. I can't even tell you it's so good. <laughs> so this is our final installment in our YA theme, which has been an adventure and lovely. And we read the book Pudge and Prejudice by A.K. Pittman. And... This was a listener recommend recommendation. Yeah, like back from season one mm-hmm. with one of our OG listeners, mm-hmm. Lauren, friend of the pod. Yes, Lauren. I'm honestly very sorry it took us this long to pick up this book. I know, I'm for real. I loved it. Thank you for this recommendation, Lauren. This was yeah. so good. Yeah. She she was like, "Oh, you guys are gonna love this." She and, was right. And we did. We did love it, Lauren. <laughs> I would like to say, though, that while I know we waited, I'm actually so happy that we did. Because ending the season with, because this is one of our last three episodes, listeners, that you're listening to in season two before we take our much-needed break. Um, But don't you worry. We're planning on all kinds of things for season three. But anyways, um, I feel like this was a really good ending to a season of some really difficult books. So I'm I'm very happy that we read it when when we did. Yeah, it was perfect timing. No, I completely agree. Um, If you can't tell by the title, um, this is a Jane Austen retelling, specifically a Pride and Prejudice retelling. Um, And author A.K. Pittman is a pseudonym for author Alison Pittman, who is actually like a Christie Award winning author. She writes um, historical fiction, I think, usually. Mm -hmm. Um, And so this is, well, technically this is historical um but uh yeah I just I'm a huge Jane Austen fan Jane Austen retelling fan I've read so many of them and I just this was such a delight to read <sighs> what a breath of fresh air <laughs> I want this to be a movie and I want to watch it That's oh absolutely so yes man yes oh, oh man <laughs> now I think about who it is my head during this book was unmatched, and I want to see it play out on the big screen. Yes. Oh, I love it. That's amazing. I love what happens when you're leaving, too. So I think think we went over our housekeeping. We just wanted to say this was our last book Mm -hmm. in the YA theme, and then it's our... We have two more episodes releasing Mm -hmm. after this in season two. And we are virtual Virtual. Yes. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. All those things. There it is. Um, Also, you might hear it in my voice, the reason why we're virtual is I'm not feeling well. So um, apologies for the gruff voice, but you know, it's, it's carry on. You know what I'm saying? You you keep moving forward. Exactly. That's right. 
She's like, <laughs> I've got to talk about Pledge of Prejudice. <laughs> yeah, I got books to talk about. <laughs> um okay um and then also obviously you're gonna hear smacking and we make no apologies for that never do never do um okay so morgan would you like to read the back cover copy of this book i would okay it's 1984 and after moving to northern field texas with her family elise nebit faces the challenge of finding her place in a new school one dominated by social status and Friday night football. When Elise's effortlessly beautiful older sister, Jane, starts dating golden boy Charlie Bingley, Elise finds herself curious about Charlie's popular and brooding best friend, Billy Fitz. Billy's notion of, quote, girlfriend material, unquote, and Elise's own body insecurities eventually complicate their relationship, leaving Jane and Elise's exceedingly blunt friend, Lottie, to step in and help Elise accept herself for who she is, Jane's size and all. Okay, people. There you go. Oh my gosh. Star reviews. Star reviews. (laughs) How about the squealers go first? I'll go first. (laughs) Twist my arm. I'll go first. Okay, guys, I gave this 4.5. Love it. I love this book so much. Um, Yeah, I... I thought when I first picked this up, how how is this going to translate to high school in the 80s? And it really worked well. For mm-hmm. me, it worked. Mm-hmm. Um, I loved the way that she wrote the characters. I loved the way that she weaved other kind of Austin-y things at, homages to other adaptations of Pride and Prejudice, mm-hmm. um, shout outs to other characters from different Austin oh novels. Gosh. Those were like really yes. fun. The Easter eggs, the writing style was delightful. Um, the dialogue I loved. Oh yeah. Four and a half stars. It was, it was so good. And I'm smiling from ear to ear if you can't tell in, the, <laughs> in my voice. I just loved it. <laughs> um, I can go next. Um, so I, as I said, I read a lot of adaptations. Um, Jane Austen adaptation. Jane Austen is what started me being like as aggressive of a reader as I am. And Jane Austen adaptations is actually what got me into like booktube, um, reading kind of beyond um, required school reading. That was really like what I was reading for a while. Um, when I first entered like the digital reading sphere, all of the sphere, pardon me, not sphere, sphere. <laughs> um, all of the things I was reading were Austin Adams. So I read a ton and I, and I love them all. Um, so I, I was trying to be a little bit nitpicky with my review because typically I pick up a Pride and Prejudice adaptation. And I'm like, well, I'm going to love this. And I always do. Right. Um, so I was trying to be a little bit nitpicky with like, certain things like, okay, looking at it as an adaptation, what aspects of it do I really like? What do I think they did well? Blah, blah, blah. And rating it in that respect. Sure. Um, just to be a little bit more particular. Um, that being said, mm-hmm. I gave this a 4.25. I love, I have a particular fondness for modern adaptations because I find it very interesting to see how authors do it. 
um, I love YA. I thought it was seamless. Um, it worked really well in the setting. I loved all of the 80s nods. I'm a big 80s nerd um, movie, film, and fashion, and music. So that was really fun. <laughs> um, whenever there's like this one um, part of the book where Lydia is helping Elise um, or Elizabeth, whatever. Um, Lydia is helping the Elizabeth character get dressed for something. And Elizabeth is like, well, I have these Gloria Vanderbilt jeans. And Lydia goes, what? She goes, they're, they're Gloria Vanderbilt, <laughs> which is like, it's so funny. Cause even then they were, she was like, that's not, you're not trendy. <laughs> um, but it was just really funny. Like there were several, like very hilarious things. Um, this author very clearly is a Jane Austen fan. She did, like Madeline said, she did amazing. Like there were these great Easter eggs and some really, there was a couple of very subtle, funny things in there that I thought she did really well. Um, there was kind of one big thing for me that probably took it. I probably would have rated it a smidge higher if not for this one element, um, that I can talk about later. Um, and it's not bad. It was just me being nitpicky about it. Um, so that being said, again, I loved this book. It was such an enjoyable experience. 4.25 is my final rating. Okay, so my rating is going to be four. I thought this was really great. I also love adaptations. Um, I used to read a lot of them um, from Jane Austen, specifically by the author Deborah White Smith. Um, and I think we need to read one of those on the pod someday. But I read those a lot when I was younger. Um and of course, we've read the novels um, and love the movies. I actually, as I was finishing this, I was like, all I want to do now is watch um, the 2005 <laughs> version of Pride and Prejudice. Because that's the reason why, I mean, I, I love, love, love the 1995. But if I just want to watch it, it's nice to be able to sit down and watch like a shorter movie. Anyways. Right. Mm -hmm. um, uh, so four stars for me. I thought it was great. Um, I think for me, there was a few things, and Morgan, I'll be curious to see if that was the same as you as far as what kind of drove the rating down from a five for me. But, like, I thought it, it was a great book. Um, I, I also feel like um, she did a really good job. I was curious how she was going to handle the Lydia Wickham situation. I thought she did a really good job um, because it definitely could have taken a dark turn, and it didn't, and I appreciated that. Um and so, um, yeah, I also thought it was a very nostalgic book with all the 80s references and things like that. And yeah, it was lovely and wonderful. And um, yeah, I think for me, since young, since YA, as we now call it, um, is not my favorite genre. I think if I kept thinking, this was set in college, I probably would have <laughs> liked it a little bit more. Um, but again, and I just think it's, where I'm at in my life, you know, in, in, in my thirties, sometimes reading um, the angsty kind of teen coming of age <laughs> stories versus like, I do also enjoy those movies. So maybe some of it too is like in a movie, it feels a little bit less painful to be inside their heads. Do you know what I mean? Because it's like, <laughs> like so, you're just you know, watching it. Like, all of their thoughts. Yeah, yeah. And the cringe factor sometimes of like, Oh, I'm like, Oh, but also she's what 15, you know? So um, anyways, but <clears throat> That's my rating. Mads Rad Reviews. <laughs> okay, I found some reviews. Um, I feel like the reviews for this novel were super like it was a it was a complete mixed bag, which okay. Was, but <clears throat> um, so I pulled a here's a four-star review from Robin. 
And she said, I love this. She said, kind of like Clueless, but in the 80s and with more sisters. <laughs> I don't know if she meant like the vibe was kind of like Clueless or if she thought it was an Emma adaptation. But either way, I thought it was hilarious. <laughs> oh, my God. Like, she said, cute. I liked that the main character was plus sized, but that it wasn't the source of all conflict and angst in the book. Good light read. I also like that that wasn't the main source of yes. angst in the book. Which you're not sure about with the title. Right, right. But I think that's it, what she's saying. Yeah. <clears throat> Two saw review from Sophia. She said, I thought this was hilarious for some reason. She said, good retelling with its own story, but it was just too much that annoyed me. <laughs> huh. She didn't elaborate, but I thought that was hilarious. <clears throat> okay, a three-star review from Trish. She said, I wanted to love this, but it was just like, it was just a like. I thought I'd enjoy the 80s so much, but it felt like forced reminiscence rather than a natural flow. Must mention an iconic song or fashion item every page and a half. The attitudes didn't feel authentic for high school. And I wanted to punch Lottie. Me too. I miss Mr. Collins and Lady Catherine as characters. They were both in there. And lastly, they were both in there. Even though the Nevitt, I did like this name play, are supposed to be struggling financially, they have MTV. No way. <laughs> that, to be fair, I actually I get did it. Think I get that. it. <laughs> but they were watching it on TV. <clears throat> yeah, I think you you did but have you to have to. like a special. I think though, because her parents her, her parents watched a lot of TV, so I think that's why they had it. Maybe so. I don't know. I felt like I felt like the Nebits weren't poor; like they were just kind of like Average. middle class. Yeah. So I don't think that that would be that weird that they had had MTV. Like obviously they're not rich like the Bingleys or the Darcys. Everybody knows that, right? Anyways, I thought that one was interesting. And actually, what I I think for for this one, it felt like it was more about social status anyways as opposed to like actual money yes. i mean there was definitely some actual right. money in there because you have to have the pemberley scene you have to you have to have all of that right but it really felt like it was more about social status in high jane, school in high school exactly like and jane and elise were like a little bit well, lower on that elise maybe well but jane, yeah. Yeah, yeah 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 anyways okay and finally a five-star review um from a little a little a little gal named um, Bethany Turner. Ever heard of her? I have. I have. <laughs> um, so she endorsed this book. Mm -hmm. So you can find oh her gosh, love on it. the back cover. Part of it. No, it's on the book. You can find the endorsement on the book. Mm -hmm. But she added this little snippet for Goodreads. That's not, I think it's not in the endorsement. Maybe it is. She said, quintessence, the most perfect example of equality or class. Epitome. <laughs> example. Pudge and Prejudice is the quintessence of what a Jane Austen retelling should be. <laughs> and I thought that was perfect. That was so fun. Um, so Bethany gave it five stars. And I have to say, I agree. This this was fantastic. fantastic. The quintessence of what a Jane Austen oh, retelling should be. Yes. Thanks, Bethany. <clears throat> yeah. Bethany and her way with words. Never <laughs> Never, never. Let's dive in. Okay, people, you know the story. But it's the truth. Universally, <laughs> universally acknowledged, acknowledged that a single man in possession of a good fortune 
must be in want, want of, a of a wife. But now this one doesn't start that way. But it it does start school. with, here, read it. Okay, yeah, <laughs> when you were in high school in 1984. <laughs> Which, I, okay. There's some people who are. It is a truth universally acknowledged that a teenage girl in possession of a double-digit gene size must be in want of a diet. <laughs> That's how this one starts. Um, so we, so the Bennets are the Nebits, which is fun. Mm-hmm. Um, and they just moved from Phoenix to Northern Field, Northern Field, Northern Texas. Field, Texas. Um, and they're, it's Jane, Elise, Lydia, and then Mary and Kitty. Yes, they, but, but I don't think they even they, they call them the Littles. <laughs> um, they're like so significantly younger. They're, yes. Yeah, they're probably they maybe like early elementary school, early yeah. grade school, like first, second, third grade kind of. Yeah. <clears throat> um. So, the focus really isn't. I mean, as far as the Bennets go, I feel like you don't like Mr. Bennett, Mrs. Bennett don't really play a huge role, and I mean they're there, right. but not like. Not like in Pride and Prejudice. Right. Um, uh, so they're starting at this. So what the, I meant, what I meant to say was, it's like, it's really Jane, Elise, and Olivia yes. that you're mm-hmm. focused on. Um, so they're starting at this new high school. And I think Elise is a sophomore. Jane is a junior. They, they're moving in. They're waiting for the movers. Like it's the weekend that they're moving in. Yeah. And like up drives in this like blue late seventies blue Camaro with like Journey like blaring through the speakers. Oh my god! <laughs> I'm literally so, I can't stop smiling. This book was so good. Um, it's Charlie Charlie Bingley mm-hmm. and Billy Fitz. Oh my gosh! And for some reason, I never really understood why they were the ones who came to help them. Remember, it move? was like service hours. Oh, yeah, service hours. Like service high school National service Honor hours. Society. Yeah, 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 National Honor Society. That's right. Um, so they like immediately, Char- it's like Charlie and Jane, they see each other across the lawn, they're instantly smitten, and then Billy and Elise have this like moment on the lawn where like there's some witty repartee happening, mm-hmm. um, classic Darcy and Elizabeth, um, but like they both give off the wrong impression that they wanted to get off, you know? <clears throat> Which is classic, classic. You know? yeah, right. First impressions. Um, first impressions, right? So they start school and they meet um, Lottie, aka Charlotte Lucas. Charlotte Lucas. And her boyfriend, yep. <laughs> yes, Colin. Aka Mr. Mr. Collins. <laughs> who great. is described as having dark, greasy hair. <laughs> so perfect. Um, and, uh, they kind of like Jane and Elise are kind of befriend the two of them, but Jane is like immediately with Charlie and with his group. So Charlie and Billy both play on the football team. Billy is the quarterback of the football team. Of course, it's Mr. Darcy. Um, Charlie's the kicker, which is Charlie's the kicker. (laughs) So he's pretty expendable, but that's okay. He, we love him. (laughs) You love Mr. Well, and that's like when it, when it's first introduced, it's like, oh, what position does Charlie play? Play. And doesn't Billy say he's the kicker? He's more into soccer. He's more into soccer, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so immediately you get kind of like wrapped into this 
the high school, the dynamics of the high school, like Elise is a heavier girl and she doesn't, so she doesn't fit in with the like social, like the social norms of what is like attractive. Mm -hmm. And she's sandwiched in between Jane and Lydia who are both like more of the ideal look. Right. In quotations. Um, So that is, I don't know. We kick off with homecoming. Yeah. Wait, can I just, oh. I just have to read a, a smidgen of the first interaction. Oh, yeah. yes, cool. <laughs> um, so she says, I hear high school football is like a religion here. Is that true? Nope. Religion is like a religion and football is football. <laughs> Insightful, I said. <laughs> Insightful. <laughs> and, then says, and then she asked him before that, she says, um, uh, so I valiantly so- soldiering on. Any advice for me starting school tomorrow? Words of wisdom for the new kids. He pulls a pair of Ray-Ban Wayfarer sunglasses, yet Tom Cruise out of the front pocket of his jeans and puts them on before looking at me. Be careful who you try to ha- hang out with. In this town, kids have already pretty much decided who their, their friends are. <laughs> like, this is just like... <laughs> it's, it, 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 it was such a Mr. Darcy, Elizabeth interaction. I was like... Oh my God. It's like, it will simultaneously make you want to read Pride and Prejudice and also watch a John Hughes film. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Oh my God. (laughs) It really is a good blend. The author kind of nailed it. Yeah. Yeah. So homecoming happens and there's like, it's like the Netherfield ball kind of Mm -hmm. situation where Mm -hmm. there's Jane and Charlie are dancing and hitting it off so well. (laughs) But then there's like this weird, awkward thing that happens, not with Mary, but with Kit, with Lydia, and she's like dancing. She's very Cotton Eye Joe, right? Cotton Eye Joe. <laughs> she's, she's in eighth grade, and she's not even supposed to be at home. Yeah, she's, she's not, not even supposed, supposed to be, be there. there. She's like dancing. She's wearing some homemade shirt, like, writhing on the floor. <laughs> but then it's like this awkward thing because families are there at homecoming because that's how they do it there, I guess. And um, so like their dad comes and like like time to go Lydia <laughs> and so like they're all embarrassed and Lydia's <laughs> embarrassing and their dad's embarrassing um oh no I feel ball what's the next thing that happens um Netherfield Park is met at last <laughs> um no oh no <laughs> pride and prejudice <laughs> what happens next um My brain's on like half speed, so no, it's um, okay. We can cut anything that's too long. Dead air. Does um, it? Doesn't Jane have to go over to um, babysit for Caroline? Yes. Oh, that's that? it. Yes. So Jane gets offered. Thank you, Morgan. Jane gets offered a babysitting job at the Bingley's house, babysitting Charlie's little sister Caroline, who's ten-year-old like ten. Caroline. <laughs> yes, and it's like social suicide because you never babysit for the family of the boy you like ah! so liz so elise is like i'll do it i'll do it and well no no she doesn't goes over and jane calls her because they have cats and jane's like yeah oh it's okay yeah so yes jane is definitely allergic to cats and she describes carolyn as a little monster mm-hmm. so ends up calling mm-hmm. elise and like you have to save me so elise rides this huge massive bicycle that their dad built for them and said once you clock what how however many 500 miles on it i'll buy oh, you can have a car you can have a car <laughs> but it's like this clunker bicycle 
And so she bikes over to the Bingley's house to save, um, to give Jane Benadryl and save her from the monster, little monster Caroline. And then of course, Charlie and Billy Fitz show up after their basketball, basketball, football game. And they all end up having this impromptu frozen pizza, like, party basically where like they send caroline upstairs and they're like all just like eating frozen pizzas in the yeah. bingley's kitchen like chatting it's, it's truly hilarious and one of my honestly i'm not gonna lie to you, there's several i want to dissect this whole thing as we're walking through it, and that's not how we do it but um <laughs> one of the things that was so funny to me about the scene there were two things one of the things was charlie because she's like making this food for Caroline. Yeah. And then Charlie's just like, uh, bye, Caroline. Isn't it your bedtime? She's like, I'm hungry. And he like cuts this tiny sliver of pizza and shoves like powdered donuts at her and is like, go eat these in mom's room. Watch whatever you want. She's like, okay. So she like goes up to her mom's bed and like snuggles in her bed and is eating powdered donuts. And as a mom, I was just like, oh my gosh. <laughs> like, can you imagine coming back and seeing that? The other thing that I have a very big beef with. And there's no other place in this podcast that this is going to fit. So I'm talking about it now. Oh, tell us. Four yeah. teenagers. They She went on and on about the amount of frozen pizzas in the freezer, how they were organized by. So obviously they're a big frozen pizza family. Later on, she mentions that they're the Red Baron brand. I regularly buy Red Baron mm-hmm. frozen pizzas. I need to say right now, there is no way in the history of heck that four people, four teenagers are going to be fed your hunger satiated with one frozen pizza. That is baloney. Didn't she say she put two in there? No. It was one. Oh, yeah, because she was like, Billy Fitz made the show of, like, cutting it into eight pieces. Which are like this. Right. Each piece is like this. Maybe it's, in 1984 it, it was bigger. I did wonder about that. That was the only thing that I was like, maybe frozen pizza used to be bigger. Because right now, I mean, like, I... That was literally 40 years ago. No, I'm not a teenager anymore. And no problem, I can eat half a frozen pizza. Easy, especially like, Red Baron. Half a pro's frozen for dinner. pizza is like, like two normal slices of pizza. Exactly, like that's a dinner, and I might want another little snacky pretty soon afterwards. But I'm not two pieces. That's nothing. You're right. And these guys are coming back from, from foot- football games. These are boys. Football like football games, they're starving. They're sweaty. No, I don't buy it. Is all I'm saying. <laughs> okay. I'm gonna go with 40 years ago. The frozen pizzas were bigger. Maybe I don't know. I don't know. It's an interesting interaction. <laughs> the next thing that happens is I think Charlie and Jane are pretty much like dating. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They're going out. They're like the it couple at Northern Field High School. Mm-hmm. Um, we meet. Oh, the next thing is we meet Mr. Wickham. Oh, Gage. Gage, Gage Wickham. Gage Wickham. <laughs> and he is a quote unquote new kid in town. Basically lives like a couple doors down from the Bennett's, <clears throat> Nebits, whatever. And yeah. uh starts a conversation uh, or uh, a friendship with Elise. Very early. And very early on. Like they start this like friendship, and then he ends up basically one of the first days he meets her, asks her out on a date. It's like a Friday night. Mm-hmm. So she like goes out on this date. They with kiss Gage on the first date twice, twice, yes. and they go to this like pizza parlor that's like the it pizza parlor to go to on a Friday night. But Dinners. if you go there on Sunday afternoon, 
Social suicide. Yikes. Social suicide. Because that's when the kid, little kids and their mom and dads go. Heaven forbid. Heaven forbid. Go there on Sunday afternoon. But Friday night, if you're seen there, you're cool. You're cool. Did you ever have, like, was that, I mean, I don't remember ever feeling that way about any, like, place. Like, I can't be seen here with my parents. Oh, I felt that all the time. I never felt that. You felt that way all <laughs> Do you not, re you not remember true. how concerned I was about status? In, uh, <laughs> I do remember that actually. Also, like, it was the kind of thing where, like, it, for me in high school, it was more that, like I didn't want to go to the diner that we all went to with my parents. Like, right. I would go with friends to the diner, you know, like that kind yeah. of thing. Sure. <laughs> but, anyways. So, they, while they're at Di Dino's, 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 Dino's um, the pizza parlor. Billy, Fitz, and the whole football team show up, and Gage and Billy lock eyes, and it's this tension-filled moment. And Elise obviously picks up on it. She's like, huh, what's that? Um, and Gage basically tells her <clears throat> on their drive back to drop her off at her house, he like tells her the sob story of his life. And blah, 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 he's lying about it all um, because he's with them. He basically well, says that, like, what her what her adaptation of that was. I feel like we should tell the listeners. Yeah, yeah. Um, basically, that his mom, his dad passed away. Yes, I think or something. And his mom started going out with Mister Fitz, and they like so much so that like. The Wickhams were like kind of living in the Fitz's home, right? For the most part, like when Fitz would, Mister Fitz would leave to go out, like because he did did all this work in London and stuff. Mm -hmm. They would like, sometimes she would sometimes go with him, but sometimes she would, they would just like live at the house. Yeah. Um, and she, our our Gage was telling Elise like, yeah, you know, like Billy was always like mean to me and just like your classic like rich snobby kid like always accusing me of taking his stuff and being in his invading his space and taking his stuff and like complaining to his dad about me all the time and then basically uh oh i don't remember what i don't remember his side of the story i'm only thinking of Fit billy Fitz's side of the story now um so he said that it it got to be like this thing where his his mom, I think, gave Billy's dad like an ultimatum, right? Like, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, if you don't, marry if you don't marry me, me I'm gonna go. It's I'm gonna, over. Like, no, she met this yeah. other guy. Yes, and she was like, "Listen, yeah, this guy clear. wants to. Yes, wants to marry me, and so either you marry me or I'm gonna go marry this guy." And he said, "I'm not gonna. Marry I'm not gonna marry you." So she went and married the guy, and they all moved together to Germany. Yeah, for a while. For a while. <laughs> Yeah. But then he came back by himself because his aunt. to live with his aunt. Because Germany was too German. And they nobody spoke his language. Nobody spoke English. <laughs> and at least was like, what can yeah. reason to move back in, in, in my opinion? <laughs> uh, so that was his reasoning. So then Elise is like, oh, Billy Fitz, what a rich snob. Ugh. The worst. So terrible. He's such a richie. Who cares snob. that he looks like Tom Cruise? I don't care that he looks like Tom Cruise. Such the way he runs the his hand through his hair all the time. And his he's 501 jeans. And his 501 <laughs> jeans. <laughs> You're such a rich snob. Anyway. So, yes. classic. Um, so then 
<laughs> um, so then they go to the party. Which one? The party where Billy tells. Oh, oh yes. Ah, right. It's like it's, yes, the it's party. It's the proposal scene. The, the first proposal scene. The first proposal okay. scene. Oh so my gosh. They go to the party party at Charlie Bingley's house. His parents are out of town. And um Elise, she's like feeling like kind of weird. She doesn't, doesn't really want to go. No. She's feeling awkward. She makes her way upstairs. She's looking because she lost Jane. She's looking for Jane and Charlie. She Jane and Charlie. And so she's concerned. Where are Jane and Charlie? Like, I've if do I need to like save her virtue right now? Yeah. We gotta go find Jane and Charlie. So then she like falls into this room. She like it was slightly ajar. So she like literally pretends somebody shoved her and she's like, hey, <laughs> it didn't happen. Um, um, and then literally Darcy's just sitting in here on a beanbag chair. Yes. By himself. Sorry, not Billy, not Darcy. Yes. Um, and basically he's like, Billy, or he's like, he's like, um, Elise. Charlie has a bunny. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and he takes she her to the window. Goes, I can't find Jane. Yeah. He goes, they're outside. Charlie, Charlie has, has a bunny. bunny. And they're like, sure enough, they're like out on the lawn, like holding this bunny. Like, <laughs> that's not a euphemism. That's literally what's happening. No, like you're literally like holding a little bunny out on the yard. Yes. Anyways, they start having this conversation. Billy Fitz tells her flat out, hey, I really like you. But then in classic Darcy fashion, Says things that he should not have said. <laughs> things that he was thinking, but he should not have said. Correct. Out loud. Um, insults her. And she walks away feeling be confused. Can we find that? Because I feel like if, if I should have written down the page for number. Tonight. Yeah, I did find it. But it's a pretty long scene. I think so the one, one thing about like him outlining her body. Remember? Oh, yeah. Do, 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 do. Huh. Oh, this one right here. <clears throat> Start right here. Read the dialogue. You know, are I mean? you sure that this is the scene? I think so. Yeah. Oh, yeah. This is pretty long, but okay. Um, you can skip some. Okay. Okay, and I can talk to you, he went on, and you don't care about all of this. He waved his hand in the general direction of the party downstairs. Stuff. You're not even a part of this world. Not a part of my world. They're all such shallow, superficial people. But then I met you. And all of a sudden, none of this even mattered. Now, you kind of had to be in the room, in the moment, sharing it with us to grasp the significance of this. That this was not the party, the crowd, the gym bag full of football equipment, the sounds of raucous laughter floating over the music. No, the this was me. I know because as he said it, those hands, the much aforementioned magic football hands, <laughs> were tracing a vague outline, a silhouette, if you will, of me. Yeah. Yeah. So it was just like a uh, gut punch. Right. That's not what he meant, but it is what he meant, but he didn't. Right. <laughs> Make himself clear and said the wrong things. And then she leaves and she's very confused. Yeah. Because she's like, you know what? He likes me and um, I like him too. But why that was, he was kind of a jerk to me just then. <clears throat> or he hurt me just then, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
Um, so then she leaves and she's like, Jane, we have to go. Jane, we have to leave this party right now. And Jane's like, what, what right now? So they like go home and Jane's like sobbing. Oh yeah. And she's like, uh, tells, Char tells Elise. Gone. <laughs> gone. Um, tells Elise that Charlie is leaving after Thanksgiving break. He's going to spend the whole Thanksgiving break. He's going to be gone for three weeks. But the thing, about that, the thing that's weird about that is because their their football team is going to state. So like he's gonna miss the state game. And it's like the super, it feels super weird. Like he's going to be with his dad. And his dad got this like in with these so the soccer coach who wants to like train him for a week. It was just yeah. like super weird. So in London, right? In London, yeah. yeah. Like it was super weird. <clears throat> so I uh, I think the next okay so yeah so then they go back to school it's like after Thanksgiving break Charlie's gone they go back to school Elise and Billy are like staring each other down in trick class but not talking to each other because <laughs> of their awkward yes. interaction and then he like slips her the, the letter he slips her the letter yeah. in trick class and it's like three pages and then basically obviously he describes his side of the story with Wickham. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Basically says that like Gage was stealing was his stealing stuff, stuff and stealing his money and um, his dad's money. Stealing yeah. his dad's money. And then basically that him and his dad and Gage like walked in back to their house one day, wow. like with Gage's mom and this lieutenant guy, like literally upstairs together. Like walked in on them. Yeah. Um, so that's what. And then that's why the that Gage and his mom left. With the lieutenant guy. With the lieutenant guy, yeah. <clears throat> so, and then also confesses that he convinced Charlie to take an extra long break and do the soccer thing because he felt like, he felt like Charlie was just like too in love with Jane and that he was too young to be too in love with Jane and that he was just going to like throw his whole like career aspirations out the window as mm -hmm. a 15 year as a 16 17 year old boy <laughs> over some girl he met in high school which honestly i kind of get it billy like i right. kind of get where you're coming from he's 17 right. <laughs> so as, as right as, as a 34 year old woman it's like yeah smart very smart, smart. <laughs> think about it um, <laughs> don't let your hormones do all of the thinking right which is they're raging at that point in your life. They're so raging. raging. Yes. Yeah, Absolutely. The next thing that happens is the Bennets, the Nebits, decide to go out of town. That's right. And um, Lydia is supposed to have this like junior high dance, dance junior high yeah. dance, like Valentine's Day dance. Mm hmm. But it's the weekend that her parents are gone. So, like, Jane and Elise promise to, like, make sure everything's going to be okay, take care of everybody, whatever. So, this is where it all goes down. Um, there's this, they go to school that Friday. Lydia never goes, shows up at her school. And Jane then, works in, like, the office. So, she's able to, like, get the see, attendance, get, see attendance stuff. Also, Gage has never showed up at school. Bum, bum, bum. Elise starts freaking out because at this point she fully believes everything that Billy has told her about Gage because she didn't like him any. Like she was like, I got a weird feeling about this guy. Yeah. He's kind of a jerk. 
one thing I wanted to say is the reason why though she freaks out is because she doesn't know she gets a note in Trid um, that she has to go down to the attendance office and she's like, what is this about? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yes. And Billy sees her because he's in class with her and sees that she seems kind of like out of sorts and she leaves class early to go down and that's when she finds out that Lydia hasn't shown up and that Gage yeah. Yes. Yeah. So then she's freaking out. She's like, they're probably together. Like people are going to think stuff. And Jane's like, people aren't going to think stuff. And Lisa's like, yes, they are. Like what's <laughs> going on? We have to find Lydia. I'm freaking out. And then like Billy approaches her in the hallway and he's like, what can I do? And she's like, he's like, I, I, he says he's going to help find Lydia. Right. Well, yes. yeah. Cause she tells him what's going on and he's like, okay, I'll help. Um, and then yeah. he says, probably, he like looks at Elise oh, and he goes, yeah. probably whenever I find Gage, I'm going to want to punch him in the nose. Is that okay? Yeah. And she goes, yeah, <laughs> just not in front of Lydia. She, she throws up. She throws up at the side of blood. <laughs> yes. Okay. Um, Hilarious. So they end up going home, but Lydia's at home when they get there. Mm -hmm. And what we had did. happened was she had hatched this selfish harebrained little scheme to get herself a high school date to her junior high school prom. And she had convinced Gage to show up with her mm -hmm. and she wanted everyone to be oppressed. So she had skipped school and like gone to the beauty parlor and like got her dress from layaway at Bell's that she had been saving for <laughs> six months. And, but then got home, but then like Gage figured out what she was doing. And then he was like, no, I'm not going to wait, wait. What are we doing? Yeah. No, I'm not going to do that. No, I'm not going to do that. And then she was like devastated. And so she's just like sobbing. And that's yeah. what had happened. Like it wasn't anything like weird. Um, nothing too sinister. Nothing too sinister. But while they're like, while she's melting down. Mm -hmm. Oh, this is so good. So good. While oh, she's melting so down, Lydia's melting down upstairs. The phone starts ringing. Elise thinks it's going to be Billy because he had said, can I call you like if I oh, yeah. find Gage or whatever. Yes. So she's like running downstairs. She's like, and um, one of the girls from school named Katie Berg, mm -hmm. right? Catherine de Berg, our mm -hmm. uh, yes. patroness, Lady Catherine de Berg. Patroness. Um, and Katie Berg is on the phone. And Katie Berg is the, what'd you say? The chairman. She's the, the president. She's the, the prom queen. She was the homecoming queen. She's like the it yes. girl in school. Yes. She's going to be prom queen. She's like junior class president. And she's like, basically, <laughs> are you, are you not engaged to my nephew? Um, she's like, are you going to prom with Billy Fitz? Because <laughs> there's this rumor going around that you're going to prom with Billy Fitz. Anyways, it's a great, the whole That's phone so call is so good. Elise like holds her own. Of course, yeah. in true Lizzie Minute fashion, she like gives Katie Berg the what for. And <laughs> Billy had like come into the house um, partway through the conversation. So mm -hmm. he like hears her Heard yelling it. at Katie Berg, like, if I want to go to prom with Billy Fitz, I'll go to prom with Billy Fitz. <laughs> but, but if, if I, I don't, don't want to, to <laughs> yeah. if I don't want to, it'll be because I don't want to go with him, not because yes. you told me I can't. Like, yeah, exactly. Like, so he hears all of that, which is great. And um, so then Billy has hatched this. The reason that he's at their house, yes, in, in a, a tuxedo, in a tuxedo, is he 
his kind of like saving Lydia moment in this is that in this adaptation Mm -hmm. is that he doesn't want her to lose face. And so he, he said, nobody knew what high school boy she was going to take. She just dance. was bragging that she was going to bring she a high school, bring boy, high school boy. So he's like, I thought maybe that I could go with her and just so she wouldn't lose face in front of everyone. And then Charlie and Jane are going to go as chaperones. And then, of course, Lydia is like, yep, that works. <laughs> Be ready in 10 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's very Before they leave, though, there's this really sweet moment where Elise realizes that Billy's doing this for her, not for Lydia. Right. Oh, mm-hmm. yes. Yes. And right. she's watching little. So she doesn't go. So she's at 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 home. Yes. And then (gasps) the walking across the field at dawn, if as it were. As it were. Yes. Um she's at home. She puts her little sisters to bed. She turns on the radio and they're having Friday night dedications playing on the radio. And she hears the announcer say, What does the announcer say? Oh, shoot. Oh, we didn't even talk about the French note. Okay. You know, Um, it was French note, but Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, it says we didn't, but that's okay. And now something special from a boy named Bill to a certain bright-eyed girl. Which he had given her an anonymous note on Valentine's, on Valentine's Day, Day um, in in French, because it was like from the French club, yeah. that was like to the to the girl with the bright eyes or something. Yes. Um, um, hold on a second. This is the song. I think we just need to, to cherish oh, okay, yes. Richie, Do crank it. it. Crank go. it. Back on you. Here we go. Sorry, this intro is longer than I thought it would be. <laughs> it's bad. It's very good. Um, it's classic. Mm-hmm. Um, so that song's playing, and she's like, oh, he's on his way. Guess he's on his way. Um so he's on his way. He is on his way. So he drops Lydia back off and basically, like, he waits asks, for her outside. Yeah. He's like, like want to go for a drive with me? She's like, yes. So they go to Wendy's, get some drive through. <laughs> and they're driving around in his no food allowed Camaro. They get drive through at Wendy's. And um, they're driving around. And something, uh, how does it start? She says, Oh, he's like the phone call. He's like, So I overheard the phone call with Mm -hmm. you and Katie. And she's like, Yeah, she thought we were going to prom together. Isn't that so weird? And he was like, Yeah, I mean, we're not even dating. Shouldn't we do a little bit of that first? (laughs) Right. (laughs) And then she was like, I I, I think, yeah, I, yes. Did he, what is happening? (laughs) And then it's kind of like this, like, awkward kind of it's, like they're honestly they're, it's so awkward they're 15 and 17 of right. course it's so awkward yeah. and then he like takes her back home and they like go onto the juggling board on the on the yes. front porch which we haven't talked about but there's a little juggling board on the front porch and they're like sitting on the juggling board and they just they have the they they just have their moment yes and he doesn't know when it happened he was in the middle of it when Before it, it had begun uh, and um yes they have their moments and she's just dreaming about all of the things the rest of the school year she like starts talking <laughs> about like 
how this is going to be great and this is going to be great and summer's going to be great and it's perfect can we talk about one second though i think we missed a critical part <laughs> of this when she goes to um his house <laughs> and runs out of gas <gasps> oh, oh my gosh that yes. is, that's a pivotal scene you're right um with the visit to pemberley yeah the, the visit, visit to pemberley, pemberley. <laughs> oh my god in that scene she obviously and like just like in pride and prejudice like she doesn't know that he's at his house and mm -hmm. her and Jane were. She convinces Jane to like take her out doing driving practice. And she's like, I know where I want to go. Cause she wants to drive by Billy's house, which is very far. It's out of town, out of yeah. the way. And they run out of gas. Like their, dad, the their dad gives them money and Jane gas. brings it outside. And she's like, Oh, dad, give us money for lunch. What he said is he gave the money for fuel. And she took that to mean food. He, he, he was, her dad was like, the girl's going to need fuel. If you're going out this afternoon. And, and Jane, Jane was like, that oh, meant, oh, yeah, give us money for lunch. <laughs> and he went absolutely cool for the car. Reminded me of something my dad would say. Absolutely. So. That's oh, why yeah. it was so funny. So I was like, yeah. So, yeah, so then they're that basically leaving and realize they ran out of gas. And so uh, Elise is like, all right, well, I'm going to go up to the house and, like, you know, but she's convinced that he's in London with his dad. So she's like, he's not going to be there. And so basically, she goes in, is meeting the housekeeper, and then the housekeeper's something like, "Oh, I'll see if William is going to come down." She's like, "William," and she's like, "Oh yeah, I forgot the Billy." And then he shows up, and this is like perfect for like literally so chapter twenty. I saw Billy. This is the entire. This is the entire chapter. I saw Billy Fitz. I saw Billy Fitz wearing nothing, nothing but a dripping wet bathing suit, and then it goes to chapter twenty-one. <laughs> So he like had come out from there from their heated the pool from the pond in nothing but a wet shirt and his breeches. Uh, and it perfect. was the like a total like shout out to yes. 1995. I know. It was amazing. It was perfect. It was perfect. Well, I, I had to give that a plug because I feel like oh, yeah, 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 absolutely yes. no, it was great. And he helped them. He was very, of course, he was very sweet. Oh, very gentleman in their car. So are you having a pleasant trip? Are you having a pleasant trip? Quite pleasant. <laughs> oh. oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Okay. Yes. All the feels, listeners. Read this. Read this and it you'll be delighted, I'm sure, as well. Morgan's recommended reads. Okay, so, so <laughs> um, again, like I said, I'm such a big adaptation nerd. So I was reading this, and I'm just going to recommend some more adaptations, because I could have gone a different direction, but I didn't want to, and immediately all of these came flooding into my head. Um, so, yeah. So I have three, and they're all actually YA retellings. Oh, love. Um, let me pull out my notes here. Do, 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 do. Um, two are technically Pride and Prejudice retellings, and one is an Emma retelling. But they all have, uh, well, you'll see. So the first one I want to recommend is called First and Then. It's by Emma Mills. Um, and this is a Pride and Prejudice retelling. And my, <laughs> I went back to look on Goodreads because I was just, I just wanted to read the little, because it's been a while since I've read all of these. And also, they're all retellings. So if you know the story, you know right. what the premise is. 
Um, but I went back to look on Goodreads just to get the little like snippets of the book. And this one for first and then my star rating is five stars. And my review says, this was beautiful and perfect. I cried. Go read it. <laughs> what, what, year, wrote, like, what year did you write that? Uh, we were in Houston. So probably 2016 or 2017. Because okay. um, we were in our first apartment there. Okay. So this one is, make sure. Okay. So it's Devin Tennyson, Wouldn't Change a Thing. She's happy watching Friday Night Games from the bleachers, silently crushing on best friend Kaz, and blissfully ignoring the future after high school. But the universe has other plans. It delivers Devin's cousin Foster, an unrepentant social outlier with a surprising talent for football, and the obnoxiously superior and maddeningly attractive star running back Ezra right where she doesn't want them. First into her PE class and then into every other aspect of her life. Pride and Prejudice meets Friday Night Lights in this contemporary novel about falling in love with the unexpected boy, with the new brother, and with yourself. So this one I really loved because it's, I mean, again, pretty, all of these are actually pretty similar. They've, there's a lot of like football stuff running all throughout. This one is very different because it's eighties. All of the other ones are kind of like contemporary, whatever. Um, but this one um, specifically, what I loved is the, where it says her social outlier cousin. Um, he is on the autism spectrum. Um, and it talks a lot about like her, this kind of like really interesting wrestle that she has um, learning to accept him and realize like the, what he brings to the table, despite like how it looks different than what society thinks it should look like. And I thought the author did a really, she did really well with it. Also, this was written, I believe by a girl who was pretty much a, maybe a teenager herself, if not right out of high school, this was her first oh, okay. novel. Um, so it feels like very, like, it just feels very authentic. Really, really loved it. The second one I want to recommend is called Interference by Kay Honeyman. This is an Emma retelling. Okay. Here we go. I will not get involved. I will not get involved. I will not get involved. As a congressman's daughter in Washington, D.C., Kate Hamilton always pushes to make things right. But when a scandal sends her family to red dirt, Texas, she decides to step back for a while. She'll take pictures for her portfolio. She'll volunteer at her aunt's animal shelter. And most of all, she'll stay out of politics, including her father's latest election. And away from guys, especially after her ex's betrayal. But if Kate's political skills can be useful in red dirt, should she really let them go to waste? After all, her friend Anna Gomez and quarterback Kyle Stone would be a perfect match. Her dad's campaign could benefit from a teenage perspective. The irritatingly handsome Hunter Price should learn he doesn't know everything. When Kate's plans backfire, she must find a soul beneath her DC spin and risk her heart, the biggest involvement of all. So, <laughs> Emma, obviously. That one, again... Football, Texas, it's, but it was, it was fun. I think I rated that one four stars. It's just a fun read. And I feel like a lot of people haven't heard about that one. It's not as common. And then this one, this author has actually written adaptations for Pride and Prejudice, Persuasion, Emma, and Mansfield or Northanger. I can't remember. So they're all, um, all YA and I've read all of them and have enjoyed all of them. I think the persuasion one was my favorite, but I, I snapshotted the synopsis for the Pride and Prejudice one, which is called Epic Fail. Epic Fail by Claire Lezebnik. At Coral Tree Prep in Los Angeles, it's a slightly different vibe. Love it. <laughs> <laughs> who your parents are can make or break you. Case in point, as the son of Hollywood royalty, Derek Edwards is pretty much prince of the school. Not that he deigns to acknowledge many of his loyal subjects, 
as the daughter of the new principal, Elise Benton, isn't exactly on everyone's must-sit-next-to-at-lunch list. When Elise's beautiful sister catches the eye of the prince's best friend, Elise gets to spend a lot of time with Derek, making her the envy of every girl on campus. Except, she refuses to fall for any of his rare smiles and instead warms up to his enemy, the surprisingly charming social outcast Webster Grant. But in this hilarious tale of fitting in and flirting, not all snubs are undeserved, not all celebrity brats are bratty, and pride and prejudice can get in the way of true love for only so long. So the whole, Yay. they're all lovely. Um, but anyways, so those are some that maybe, if you like YA and you like Austin adaptations, you should probably read them. Check those out. They're fun. Yeah, I love those. Thank you, Morgan. That was delightful. Odette's Relevant Research. Okay, so a couple things I researched, um, <clears throat> assuming that my voice is not going to give out during this. Um, so um, one of the things is we mentioned the note that um, Billy sent to um, uh, Elise on Valentine's Day. So I did type this in, so I'm going to let Google translate, translate it for us in... Um, French and then in English. So that's kind of the first thing that I did here. Pour elle avec les yeux brillants. Pour elle avec les yeux brillants. For her with shining eyes. Sounds less romantic in English. I'm going to be You know. They don't call it romance language for nothing. Yeah, I guess shining and bright um, can be, are like a fairly similar word, but... Um, okay, so that was one thing. The other thing I wanted to talk about was they talked a lot about, um, <clears throat> in random times, a joggling board, and I didn't know what that was. Did you two know it? Is that a Southern thing? Because I didn't know what it was. I didn't, I didn't know. I had never heard of it before, before this, before the book. Me neither. Okay. <clears throat> okay, because you said it in a way when you were just uh, earlier in a way that made me think maybe you had seen the mess. It did seem like she had one at her house. Yes. Um, A joggling or jostling board is a long pliable board that is supported on each end by wooden stands. The board is springy and a person sitting on it can easily bounce up and down. What is the point of these? You're probably thinking to yourself. Um, They've been used for rocking babies in the earlier days. Um, Gala nurses, this is, is specifically in Charleston, um, called Daz, would sit holding their charges in their arms, singing soft lullabies as they gently bounce the infants to sleep. If you wonder how many people can sit on there, as always, um, according to the jogglefactory.com, so if you want to get your own joggle board, apparently they're still um, available, um, but they are, um, the six feet or eight inch can easily sit two to three people. Um, anyway, so it's a, basically, um, I can, I feel like we need to post a picture and stories for this, for the listeners, because it's definitely something you need to visualize, um, along the way, but, um, gotta see it. yeah, exactly. Um, and I guess that they're all sizes and I guess it's like, cause you can, it, it kind of tapers downward. So I guess it would be very easy cause they made a comment that like, if you're sitting on there with a boy, like <laughs> be like, very like easy. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So, <clears throat> anyways. Um, okay. The other thing I wanted to talk about is, and Morgan, you probably know some of this here, but 
one thing that I was fascinated by um, are adaptations of Pride and Prejudice. I was trying to do find the history of the first adaptation of Pride and Prejudice, but couldn't really find that though. Um, specifically, I, I, I know, I know that one. If you want, if you want to know it, oh yeah, please tell. Yeah, um, the very first um, kind of spinoff or retelling was actually written by Jane Austen's own niece. Oh, okay. um, after she had passed away. So back in the 1800s. That's great. I love that. I'd have to look up the, I'd have to look up the title of it, but um, Fanny, um, Fanny Knight, mm. I think Fanny Knight wrote the first. I love that. Yeah. How special. That's better than what I could have <laughs> imagined. Um, <laughs> so um, a couple of things I just want to highlight some uh, classic, and this is more in the film realm, because um, a lot of the Pride and Prejudice, I would say more well-known adaptations tend to be more film related. I'm not saying books, but just in, I feel like the ubiquitous kind of universe. Um, so obviously um, the first Pride and Prejudice movie um, was in 1940 starring Greer Garson and Sir Oliver Lawrence. Or Sir, Lawrence, Lawrence, Sir Lawrence Olivier. Yeah. Um, then the Pride and Prejudice um, in the 1995 BBC miniseries of Colin Firth as Mr. Darcy that launched his career. Then um, Pride and Prejudice, this 2005 popular remake starring Keira Knightley and Matthew McFadden. Mm -hmm. um, Bridget Jones' Diary, a 1999 novel, um, and then a 2001 film with Renee Zellweger, Colin Firth reprising as Mr. Darcy and Hugh Grant. Bride and Prejudice, a 2004 Bollywood film, delightful. <laughs> um, Pride and Prejudice Zombies, the novel was 2009. 2016 was the film. The Lizzie Bennett Diaries, a 2012 YouTube series. Um, and I will say that that one also, listeners, if you're curious, Morgan talks all about that in our interview with um, CJ Malisi. Mm -hmm. um, and then um, Christmas at Pemberley Manor, 2008. I think that's a movie. Um, Pride and Passion, a 2018 Brazilian telenovela series. Oh my gosh. I've never seen Probably that. Probably pronounced Pride and Passion. Passion. Oh my gosh. I didn't even know about that one, Odette. <laughs> Um, and then oh wow this keeps going so I'm not going to go through all of these because there's a oh my goodness there's a lot more but um the the nice thing is I feel like there there's like depending on kind of where you're looking is a lot of people it's like oh this movie or this book is kind of an adaptation and they kind of take it and I think it's fun because I feel like there's always an element of surprise that's how I thought about this book about how the author takes certain um directions for certain components but then you also know what's going to happen and so I just think it's lovely and wonderful. Um, and there's a lot of um, books here too, because um, which I'm sure that you know, um, Morgan, that that there's some, um, like there's Muslim retellings. There's like- uh, I've recommended some of those on the podcast before. Yeah, exactly. So oh, it's yeah, nice- Glass it, is really it, good. Unmarriageable by Sonia Kamil, Kamal is really good. Well, I haven't been, I haven't like read all of that, but it's it's pretty popular. There's, yeah, they're all across the board. There's some- um, Indian retellings like um from India. Um, there's like a whole Sonali Dev. These are none of these are Christian fiction. <laughs> um, and some of them are more explicit than others, but Sonali Dev has written a whole series of um uh Jane Austen retellings that are contemporary and set with um within the context of Indian characters, um, and Indian culture, I mean. So 
Um, and then two more films I'm going to call out. One is a TV miniseries in 2013, Death Comes to Pemberley, based on the 2011 P.D. James murder story. I feel like that's something that I need to watch. And then did you see the one, the 2016 film, Unleasing Mr. Darcy, that features the dog show? Unleashing Mr. Darcy? Yeah, it's based on the book of the same name, I think, by Terry Wilson. Oh, okay. Nice. It's fabulous. It's very, it's very like, hallmarky, but it's great. Like, she has oh. these um, King... King Cavalier, King Cavalier Spaniels, her and Mr. Darcy both have one. And wow. she, like, he's one of the judges at the dog oh show. Oh my gosh. It's great. <laughs> There's Unleashing Mr. Darcy and then Marrying Mr. Darcy. Um, I love, I love on words too. That is fabulous. So that's my, um, <laughs> that's my uh, relevant research. And yeah, good stuff yeah. and lots of wonderful adaptations out there, listeners. Or your heart's desires. Yay. Love it. The swoon scale. The swoon scale. The swoon scale. Never well, well, more appropriate. <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> Never has the swoon scale been more appropriate than us actually reading an adaptation of Pride and Prejudice. Yes. Morgan's husband will be rejoicing that it finally makes sense. <laughs> maybe. Maybe he will. Maybe he won't. How we, we did is Pudge and Prejudice on a yes. scale from zero to Colin Firth in a wet shirt. It makes perfect sense. When Billy Fitz himself is not even in a wet shirt, but emerges from the pool in this shirtless. shirtless. Yes. He's 17, so don't think too hard about it yeah but um that's true um so we are going to base our spoon scale on different adaptations of jane austen novels it doesn't yes. necessarily have to be pride and prejudice but it can it be. could be any novel by yes. jane austen but any jane austen adaptation is our category yes. today ladies <laughs> Oh man, I don't want to go first. I have to remember my three that I was trying to whittle down. <laughs> Odette, you should go first. Do you have yours? Yeah, I do. Okay, <clears throat> so mine is, I don't know if y'all saw, and I knew that this one had mixed reviews, but I personally enjoyed it. So Netflix in 2022 came out with their version of Persuasion, um, and I actually enjoyed <laughs> Morgan's face. I'm so sorry. <laughs> this is the most controversial thing you've said on this podcast. <laughs> said anything more controversial <laughs> you liked it okay we'll talk we'll talk out of podcast about i want to know why you liked it like genuinely okay. <laughs> i didn't i didn't hate it as much as other people do but people got strong opinions i know okay well not I watched it with a bunch of like classic lit nerds and they were ripping it up one end and down the other <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> here's the thing i feel like for some reason i can take adaptations and maybe it's because I love those stories that Jane Austen has wrote I read them many a times I but like to me sometimes I can appreciate an adaptation because I'm like this is the person's interpretation of that and I genuinely liked the romance in that so anyways yeah. controversy aside not trying to make this painful. I'm sorry I just wasn't expecting I wasn't expecting that I'm so sorry it's okay um so there was something about now I feel like my mind no, no there's I didn't I didn't hate the movie as much as some other people I was just surprised to hear you say that okay. listen I didn't even watch it yeah so I don't I don't, I don't have, even know I don't have any qualms with you liking the controversy film. about it I didn't even watch it though <laughs> so um 
I feel like the one thing I really enjoyed about the spooniness of this Pride and Prejudice was that it felt very um, intentional towards the peak moments of Miss Darcy and Elizabeth in the original Pride and Prejudice, but yet reminiscent that that made sense in the setting. Um, and so, cause even like the story of like the, the, the true story of Wickham, even things like um, the letter, even how he showed up and took care of Lydia, like all these things were just done so well and they added spooniness. And like, for me um, in this movie Persuasion, um, I would say, and it's also inherently possible that other people have different opinions, but in my opinion, there was this really good scene and I don't know if I want to spoil it for you, Madeline, if you haven't seen it yet, but maybe you haven't seen it intentionally. I, I, yes. When usually when there's like a classic out of a classic that I love is being adapted and people are super on the fence about it. I'm like, usually it takes me a long time yeah. to watch it. Cause I'm like, I don't want to hate it, but I also kind of want to love it. I don't know what to do. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay. So I won't spoil it. So that way, but at the end, when it's like the epic scene, there's a letter that's dropped and the two mm -hmm. main characters, it's this misunderstanding and it all clicks into place. And I feel like for me, it was, and then like she chases after him and it's delightful. Um, and so I feel like in this, the, the reason why I chose it is because I had gone down a lot of paths. I also really like product, from Prada to Nada. I thought about doing that one, but I felt like the oh, playfulness, I watched that one pretty regularly. I'm not gonna lie to you. That's um, so good. <laughs> Okay. So um, because here's the thing, um, speaking of Pride and Prejudice adaptations and films, there are some really good ones and some really bad ones. So when I find a good one that is like the story description, you're like, chef's kiss. But anyways, so back to why I think it is as swoony as Persuasion is the sweetness of the end of it was like, it just built really well. And then there was this moment where the characters finally were on the same page and kissed and it was very sweet. Um, and it just kind of ended in this kind of like, they're just sitting in a field in, in the movie and, you know, spending time together. And so I feel like that felt very similar to them on the porch, on the jogging board and very much like they had these, cause even like the awkwardness of their co car conversations and in the Wendy's parking lot was that like, they were still misunderstanding and she was still kind of mad at him. And it was just kind of this, but then she was like, I think I'm misreading things now. And it was just this like delightfully awkward um, misunderstandings that led to just a great uh, a great kind of ending um, to the story that we know and love. Um, so yeah, that's why I chose it. Love it. Love. That's awesome. Do you want to go next? Or do you want me to go next? Sure, I can go next. Okay. So I chose mine. It doesn't have any similarities to what's happening in this adaptation as okay. far as like storyline. So it's not a Pride and Prejudice adaptation. Is that what you're trying to say? It is an Emma adaptation. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it is not Pride and Prejudice. It is Emma. But I'm telling you, like, there's no similarities. I'm just, like, basing it solely on, like, swoon level. Okay. So, like, the level, yes. when I watched, the, it's a film. I'm talking about a film. Mm -hmm. When I watched this part of the film, my level of swoon was the same as when I read this book. Okay. That okay. purely it's the same. Okay? Got it. So, I'm also choosing a much more recent adaptation. Of 2020? Yes, of Emma. Were you going to be that? Nope. No, thank goodness. Okay. Um, so I don't actually know if if there's controversy about this adaptation or there not. There is. There's controversy about every adaptation. There's controversy ever. about a decent amount. But um, 
Except for 95. Well, there's nobody. Why would you? Why would you argue about that? Exactly. <laughs> she was perfect. Um, I loved the. Um, I loved this film. I don't. I loved it. I thought that the humor was captured really delightfully, and I thought the characters shined the most. It was like a character study. It was like an Emma character study. And I loved that because mm -hmm. I love the characters in Emma. But there's the scene when they're dancing um, to, and I literally like listen to this song all the time. Um, <laughs> I love, it's like, a, it's a waltz. I can't remember the name of the waltz right now. But it's Knightley and Emma and they're dancing. And it's like, they have the moment when they're like seeing each other for the first time, you know? And there's this scene in this 2020 version of Emma where, the song ends and Knightley is just like, <laughs> it's so funny. Knightley's just like staring at Emma. <laughs> He's just staring at her and he, and he doesn't stop staring at her. And then she's like shuffled away and he just like starts running out of the assembly hall and like, is like walks to her carriage and like her carriage rides away and he starts like chasing after her carriage. And then he runs, her carriage takes her home. She's like all dreamy, like, walking through her house, like taking her shoes off, like getting ready to go to bed. She's been at the ball all night and nightly just like runs up and he's just like at her house, like panting. Oh my God. Like, looking up at her at the window. And it's this delightful scene of just chasing Emma. What? Does she see him? Yeah. They like almost connect, but then they're interrupted. Um, Classic. It's just this mm -hmm. delightful scene where there's like so much tension and it's so lovely because they both are thinking the same thing, but nobody's saying anything. And that was the level of swoon I had here. Love it. Um, I'm also picking not a Pride and Prejudice adaptation. I almost did. But this is also an adaptation, hilariously, that has some controversy attached to it. Um, <laughs> so before I go into it, I want to explain a little bit. Um, I, while I loved this book, I didn't, and there were definitely swoony parts in it for me. Like I squealed, like squealed, like overall for me, and I, it's the parts that always get me in Pride and Prejudice. So to me, like Jane Austen was a genius and she wrote this masterful tale that is so timeless and so transcendent. You can take the bones of her story and kind of put them in whatever. And it's magical because the story is so good. Um, that being said, for me, Billy Fitz, this iteration of Darcy was not my most favorite. He was not overly swoony to me. He wasn't not swoony, but just like, he was like, I was like, oh, I could have gone for a little bit more is how I was feeling. So... You're 17, so I get that. Right. You know, fair. So what I picked was, wow, where is... How swoony are you in high school? How swoony can you be in high school? I don't know. Who knows? The 2007 Mansfield Park. What? what? Morgan! Listen. Listen. I'm screaming! I'm, go I'm going to explain. <laughs> I'm going to explain this to you. Okay. Mansfield Park is Jane Austen's least swooniest Like, book. that's the one with Billy Piper, right? Yes. <laughs> Edmund Bertram is a trash character. He's trash. He's the worst. He's truly terrible. That's that's not nobody's debating that. Actually, a lot of people debate that. But 
I'm not rating it here. I'm just saying he's trash. But <laughs> that's in this adaptation. So it's with Billy Piper as Fanny Price and Blake Ritson as Edmund Bertram. And um, so in this, this is the only, there are three adaptations of Vanceville Park. Yeah. Like, and there the one three. is like not even. One of them is extremely accurate to the book. One of them is not a true adaptation. Yeah. It's like half Jane Austen's life, half Mansfield Park, and very salacious weird. and weird. Um, and then there's this one. Huh? Which one is that? That's like the half and half. It's, it's called like, Mansfield Park. It, it's the it's the one with ninety seven, like the completely yellow backdrop. Yes. yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I saw that one. I wondered about that. Yes. It's been a long time. Um, it's very. It's not. Um, I mean it's an interesting film, but like, it's not a good adaptation at all. Um, so the, um, where was I going with this? Oh, sure. so in this adaptation, when I first watched it, um, I, cause I love the idea of Mansfield park in that, like, there's this like delightful pining the whole time. Cause Fanny is just like in love with Edmund in love with Edmund in love with Edmund. Uh, and he just doesn't see it, doesn't see it, doesn't see it. And then in the end, in the original novel, like, there's just not great payoff. And you're like, all of a sudden, it's like the last page. He, like, turns around and then he realizes, oh, it's always been Fanny. And that's how it ends. It's, But, so, in this, in this 2007 adaptation, Edmund realizes that he actually is in love with Fanny. And there's, it's still a very short scene, but there's, like, this little bit of, like, it's like he realizes it's her and they're living in the same house because they're cousins. And so they're like, they all go down there at the breakfast table and he just keeps like, you know, everyone's eating and she's like eating and they just keep like eyeballing each other over breakfast. And he just like keeps trying to catch her eye and she's like looking away, like being very like flirtatious and coy. And he's like, hmm. and so, like, it's just like, there's a little bit of like fun flirtiness that happens. That's honestly very satisfying in the story of Mansfield Park. You're like, thank goodness. Something Somebody. is happening here. <laughs> Somebody helps them. He like chases her around the garden, garden and yeah. like grabs her and like kisses her behind the bushes. It's so it's, that's why to me, because overall, like it could have used more swoon factor, but there was a very satisfactory element to what was there. Sure. I get that. That's why I chose that. I get that. <clears throat> so. Fair. That's very fair. Alrighty, well, um, moving on. So now we're gonna do highs and lows. Who wants to go first on that? I can go oh, first. Go for it. I wrote some things down. Love it. Okay, so my highs were the angst driven by headphones in the ears. I just <laughs> loved it. Like, oh man, this music is just like, oh, it's totally catching my vibe. You know how you were? I mean, I was like this in high school. I was completely like this in high school. I was in a mood and I would find the perfect song and I put my earbuds, not headphones, but I put my earbuds in and it would just, the perfect song to pat, to match my mood. I did that all the time in high school. I love that. The angst fueled by music and then also all the music. And I literally texted the girls before we filmed this evening. I was like, I want her to have like, a playlist somewhere where we can listen to all the songs that she like um, makes reference to in the book because it was so fun and I love 80s music. Um, the, do you the not running... now? Do you not listen to music now based on your mood? Because I still do that. <laughs> yeah, I do. I do. I'm definitely a mood like music listener. I'm just like talking about in high school. I, I did it all the time. Like <laughs> picture Madeline on the bus in high school, like with her earbuds in, like 
listening to something like super like dramatic and angsty and it's like it, it was just a fine day in ninth grade like it's not a big deal like, you know what I mean like that's what I love like I love that like just chill Madeline it's fine you're 15 um <coughs> um the running joke of has anyone seen Frank Churchill so that was, so fun. That was hilarious so fun. no one's seen the guy what does he look oh, like? Are you talking about Frank Churchill? Where is Frank he? Churchill. And even at one point, Elise is like, maybe I should just get with Frank Churchill. He seems like he's great. Of course, I've never seen yeah, him. Of course, I've never seen him. <laughs> Love that. The running joke of where? Uh, Has anyone seen Frank Churchill? <laughs> um, and then I also have the, I loved her shout outs to the wet shirt scene from the 95 Pride and Prejudice. And also her shout out to the rain scene from the 2005 Pride and Prejudice. Yes. Because we didn't talk about this scene either, but there's like a scene after oh their their awkward moment in mm -hmm. like the bedroom at Charlie's house. Uh -huh. And she like goes home the next day and he comes to the house the next day, like oh, in a ball rain. cap and it's raining and they're like standing outside on the porch. And I was like, ah, an homage to the 2005 yep rain scene that is iconic and perfect um in every way um the lows the only lows i have are like it's really the low that i have every time that i read or watch pride and prejudice is i want somebody else i want more people to champion elizabeth bennett like jane champions elizabeth and mm -hmm. obviously mr darcy champions her too but i like her family is still psycho and crazy <laughs> and doesn't seem to see her merit except for maybe Mr. Bennett. But I, I felt that way at, in this mm -hmm. book too. And I was like, I just wanted somebody else to like champion Elise for like who she discovered, what she discovered about herself and, and how she decided to um, carry herself. Mm -hmm. Like, ah, oh, somebody else champion her. She's doing so great. But I always feel that way. Like I always want more people to champion Elizabeth. <laughs> um I can go next unless you want to go next or that. Okay. Um, so I my highs, a lot of my highs were the same as Madeline. Like I loved all like you could clearly tell that Allison Pittman is a Jane Austen fan. She's yes. watched adaptations, she's read the books because like the oh my god, like there's this fabulous whole scene where it's talking about all of the the, all the names, all of, the the names of the football players, players running in, yeah. and they're all Jane Austen. He yes. has the one is like um somebody is Willoughby, somebody Willoughby who yep. just knew a story about him as he carried someone home who'd broken their ankle in the rain. Go figure. Don't even know if that's true. Like that there's just so all funny. these great. Like it was really so fabulous. Funny. Um, the way that um she describes the littles in the very beginning. Mm -hmm. She talks about Elise is kind of talking about them like, and I have two siblings, but honestly, they really don't contribute much to the family. They hardly bear mentioning. Like it's when you first read it, it's almost like, yikes, Elizabeth or Elise, you're being callous. But then when you think about it, it's hilarious because Kitty, Kitty and Mary, Mary contribute you, nothing to the story. Of like Pride they, they contribute like barely anything. Like so, why are they in there? It was very it's funny. So that you understand the plight of the family right. that they have five exactly. dogs. Yeah. Exactly. Um, but but it was just very funny the way she said it. And then right, like all of the homages to the films and like there was just there was so much in there. It is a wealth. And that that is a delight that's to read. So like fun. as a as an Austin fan, it's so yes, fun like those Easter eggs are that's the best kind because they're not very they're not some of them are a little bit more like obvious, but like 
not really like they don't beat you over the head, but it's like, Oh, I see what you did there. I loved it. Um, and then I loved just like in general, the eighties setting, like I said, I'm a big kind of eighties nerd. So I, I liked all of the funny, like clothing mentions and they talked about Sonic and they like their things that are very Texas, (laughs) um, which were fun. Like, so that was the whole thing was just very like, ah, this, it was fun. It was just fun to read. Um, my lows where I talked a little bit about how I didn't, I just felt like it, there could have been a little bit more, like, especially there at the end, it ended so fast and it just like, Oh, I wanted a little bit more, but sometimes I feel that way, like in the book too. Like when I read Pride and Prejudice by Jane Austen. So I can't really fault it for that. Um, but it just was a little bit like, ah, the one thing that actually to me, Odette, you mentioned it a little bit in the beginning. And I think, I think maybe I have a reverse opinion on it is I actually think that the Lydia angle would, they didn't, it it was too like, like it was nothing. You know what I mean? Like to me, part ended like her and Gage. With Lydia and Gage. It was like nothing. And so I think like part of the reason why there's like Mr. Darcy truly (laughs) saves Lydia's reputation in a really extreme way. And he does it for Elizabeth. Um, and I, and I think one of the reasons why it's such a big deal is because it's like it's a very big deal in the context of what's happening. Right. And it I would have ruined the entire family. Right. And so I've seen it done lots of different ways. And I, but I just like to me when it came out and it was just literally just like, oh, she was going to take him to the dance and he didn't show up to the dance with her. I was like, wait, what? Like, because there's always that element of like when you're reading the book, like, oh, my gosh, what's happening to Lydia? And like. Lizzie's anxiety rising and James and everyone's upset and they don't know what's going on. And that like level of like, (gasps) was not like, it was barely there. And so to me, I actually thought that that was kind of like a, Oh, well, I wish that that, I don't even necessarily know what she could have done, but it feels like that lends an extra something that the story needs. You know what I mean? Like it needs that element of like life or death in quotes. Like it needs that more intense. it proves Darcy's devotion to Lizzie. Right. Exactly. Like, and I mean, you know, whatever it's high school. And so I get, I get, I get what they were doing and it wasn't, and it wasn't badly done at all. But that to me was a little bit of like a, Oh, yeah, I get that. I didn't love that. Sure. So, yeah. Well, and I wondered too if there was like a line she was trying to play with. You know what I'm saying? Because it's like right. she didn't want to imply anything of ill sure. intent. You know what I'm saying? And so I feel like he may have in in that realm because I because I was kind of nervous to be honest. I was like, ooh, how how are they going to put this out? Because I was like, she's like 14 or 13 or you right. know. And so there's a component of that. Like if you take out the historical context of that, yes, it was scandalous in that time, but like women were getting married at 15, you know what I'm saying? And so it's like this idea of, um, you know, Billy coming in to save the day, but in kind of a, a less, a more social reputation, I actually thought was was helpful because I can see your point and maybe having a little bit more drama to it. But I also like the fact that a lot of the issues that the book had was about the social, Right, standing of things. So that's why it felt like the Lydia issue was more about social standing than it was actual reputation. You know what I'm saying? I don't know. No, it def- that definitely makes a lot of sense. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, I feel like it wasn't built. I feel like you were just like, wait, what? But then I was also like relieved. <laughs> I think I was just relieved that like Fair it enough. wasn't 
she like found her in a ditch or she was kidnapped or, or something else happened. So yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Not to say that that's not a valid loan, Morgan. I was not trying to say. I was just no, trying to no I didn't I didn't take it that way. No, and, and, and I agree with what you're saying. So um I would say, are you do you have any more highs or lows, Morgan? So for me, um highs, I feel like the um setting was so fun. I think I didn't I don't know if it's just that we read so many books and we plan so far in advance. I didn't realize it was going to be set in the 80s. And so that was a delightful surprise. Um, <laughs> um, and um, although one thing I would have liked that I thought it's afterwards is because it's definitely like Elizabeth's story or not what well, I mean, but like Elise's story. I would have loved that there was a little bit of a an epilogue where it like talked a little bit about them um, a little bit more because it felt almost like it was, it felt almost diary-esque in certain ways. Um, and so I feel like that would have been a fun thing anyways, but, um, that's more of a mid than a, than a high or a low. Um, one thing I want to talk about is, um, I struggled with this when we were going to read the book and I, I don't know that I would necessarily call it a low, but it's not a high. So I feel like I'm just going to talk about it. Um, so I struggled a little bit with the fact that like the quote unquote flaw in Elizabeth, at least, sorry was her weight. Um, and I feel like the reason being because I understand in high school that that is definitely something and that can cause someone to feel insecure or feel like they don't deserve, you know, the, the popular guy or, or whatever. Um, but it felt like to me, it was exaggerated a bit. And maybe it's also in a way, um, I've struggled with my weight over the last, I don't know, five or six years, basically since grad school. And then there was a pandemic and all that. But I feel like, so So maybe I just have a proclivity to sensitivity to that, of like the fact that like her main, and she also had to come through and there was some, towards the end of the book, her owning like, well, I don't, I can, I'm beautiful the way that I am, you know, and those kind of things. Like that was really great. But I just struggled that that was like her flaw. Like I wanted there to be, but I'm using air quotes for flaw. Like it felt very much like there could have been more to it. And I understand that like the thing between her and Jane, that made sense because Jane, you know, was popular, like all the things that like you want, you know, to be. So I just struggle with that. So I don't necessarily know that it was a low. Um, and I don't think it made me not like the book. I obviously gave it four stars. I just struggled with like that being the defining thing about her that like made her the way she was. I don't know. But I also understand that, but one could also argue on the other side, like that's not really talked about, like the, you know, uh, weight in, in women and things like that, especially in young adult books. So one could argue that that, that, that was a positive thing. I think I, I just struggled because it was such an emphasis um, throughout it. And then it was like, which is why when um, Darcy's character, when Billy was made the outline of her, it was even more offensive because he was basically saying, oh, you know, I it's surprising that, you know, I felt... Uh, I'm falling for a girl who's overweight, you know? So anyways, I don't know. And that's kind of just my musings. I don't really know what I have an articulation about it. I just was like, I wish it could have been something else. And I think it still would have been a good story. I don't know. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I would agree. And I think that the, the one thing that I think, at least for me, because I was kind of wary of that going into in general, like I've talked about, reading books where it feels like there's like a lot of like fat shaming and things like yeah. that. And I tend to be a little bit like, why are we even talking about this? Like who cares what someone yeah. weighs? Like it shouldn't, it doesn't matter. Who cares? Yeah. Um, 
But I do think the one thing that was, at least when I read it, what like I was kind of pulling out from it is that it was actually primarily in her own head. Um, okay. Because I mean, like clearly there was obviously some external perpetuation, like her mom. Yes. Like putting, putting her on diets and stuff that was problematic clearly. <laughs> um, but even just it like, feels very for sure. Yes, absolutely. It does. <laughs> it but does. Even, she wasn't, she wasn't like immediately popular necessarily, but she also went in with a very jaded, like, oh, well, yeah. I know, I know what I am and I'm not popular because of my weight. So I'm just not even going to try to hang yeah. out with it. You know what I mean? Like she kind of perpetuated this stuff. Um, so that it almost made it seem like, okay, so this is something it's clearly been said, but you've internalized it yes. and it's become a part of your identity now. And you think that people that's all that people see about you. So then you make judgment, which again, it's very pride good. It's pride and prejudice. You're making judgments about what people are going to yeah. say about you because of what you think yes. they're going to say about yeah. you. Um, and then in the end, she came to it like, okay, like it doesn't, it, it doesn't matter to me. Like yeah. it can't matter to me. And yeah. then that was when things started because it, she was the main person who it mattered to. Yes. Um, it wasn't right. like people at school were not talking to her because she was fat you know, or whatever, like yeah, that yeah. wasn't happening. Um, and I even think the thing with Darcy, yeah. I don't think that's what, he, that's not what he meant. I don't no, think that, that's, she interpreted yeah, that as what he she, meant. Like he yeah. was like, he was this, just gesticulating. Just, yeah. And yeah. she, because of her insecurity, that's how she took it. Mm -hmm. um, but we all have stuff, like, like we all do that. Like if you oh, go in with a notion. So I like, because yeah, that was something that I was thinking about going into it. And I was very much like, man, I hope that this doesn't like yeah, really weird, get weird. But I actually thought it was, I thought that that's kind of what saved it for me um, was that it really felt like it was more about Elizabeth or Elise. And what's in, what is in her own mind. How yeah. She yeah. And then. And how her, her views of herself, her, changing her perception of the world and yeah. the people that she's interacting with. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and one could say that whatever your flaws are that you that you know that you have, it's up to you to decide how you're going to allow those to <clears throat> filter your world because we all are humans and we all have our own unique flaws. And that's a good point, which is why I was like, I don't think this is a low, but it it, it, it felt very much like this elephant in the room. <laughs> Weird yeah. Like of it. Um, and so that's a really good perspective that it was more a reference to her own internal because because of what she believed about herself true or not ended up being something that defined her existence in high school um until she kind of came to the conclusion that that wasn't the only thing that defined her so yeah Maybe. yeah <laughs> okay so um god factor god ladies factor. anybody have something that's burning in their spirits I mean, well, honestly, mine was kind of that, that kind of segues into mine. Okay. A little bit, um, is that just the, because I didn't have like a super like strong, intense God factor in it. Um, not that whatever, that's whatever. I, I just didn't have one. But the one thing that I did pull out that it was just kind of that internal struggle and that, um, I do think that's something that for better or worse can really be done well in YA because you're so like yes. everything's angsty and you're feeling all the feelings. And um, 
but just that idea of like our our flaws um, or our own insecurities, maybe is a better way to say it, our own insecurities about things can color and shape our worldview and cause us to judge other people or misconstrue what people are saying, um, willfully misunderstand someone. Um, and I think just the way that the author kind of had Elise come to that realization, um, it wasn't like a flash of lightning or anything. It just kind of was like, oh, right. Like people would say things to her. Um, I think Lottie like had a conversation where she's like, you have to be like, okay with yourself. Like, yeah, you have to be okay with yourself. You have to like, otherwise, and you're just going to keep stumbling over this yes. always. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and then she it, she just took that to heart and she was like, yeah, that's right. I do. And I think that that's something that everybody had. Like everybody has something like that. Everybody struggles with it. And some people get to that realization early. Some people get to it late. Some people kind of consistently struggle with it. I think we all probably consistently struggle with it. If you think about it, nobody ever gets to the place where they're completely just like on the other side of things. But um. I just, I don't know. Like that was just very, it felt very well done and was very like, I mean, you can see God in that because God, God creates us. He loves us. Um, yeah. Everyone has flaws or things that are, but if it's things like that are, you're insecure about mm -hmm. knowing that, um, that it's like God created you this way for a reason. He loves you. He cares about you. Like the looking at what you have to offer and the gifts that you have, instead of focusing on the things that you feel like you lack or the things that you don't have. Um, I don't know. I just, I just like the way it was done. Yes. I, I agree. <clears throat> yeah. I think that there's kind of a component of that where, um, because it is YA that, that kind of lends itself to that. Um, because I think the first realizations that you start to have of like what actually matters in life. And um, I know for me, like I care about things we all do in high school and early college that didn't actually matter, but they seem like the biggest deal um, to you at the time. And as you get older and you just experience more life and you start to see different side of yourself. And I think also um, my therapist one time, we were talking about how um, the more therapy that you're in, the more that you work through it, you almost meet the version of yourself that God intended you to be. And so I think that um, that was kind of the start because the, the first thing you have to do is be okay with like, it doesn't, I can't pursue, oh, I need this person to like me or this guy to like me or whatever in order to feel accept, like accept myself or whatever it is. And so I think that um, that, that book kind of did a little taste of that, you know? Um, and I think that then you kind of, people can also say coming into your own is another way to describe that. And I found that while there wasn't an extreme God factor in this book, I think that, um, kind of the kind of soft way she leaned into that is very real and very relatable and feels like what a lot of us experience. Um, now that we've kind of talked, you can tell that my brain is like half sick that I, <laughs> but, um, I think that um, that was really kind of a beautiful thing because I think that the beauty of finding yourself and some of us, we have crazy childhoods or crazy lives and we need 
help out or you just don't need someone else to talk to you. I'm a big proponent for therapy and talking to people and working through things um, because I think that if whatever you can do to honor God by being the best version of yourself and who, and who, and who he truly created you to be and not allowing the um, quote unquote flaws or things that you see yourself, you know, cause it's kind of like the, the concept when, when you're younger I don't know if you guys ever thought this. So like everyone was, was always talking about you and the older you get, you realize that no one really has the time or the mental energy. To think about you. Like, you know, and no one's talking about me. Like, like no one literally has, like, I found unless it's something absurdly hysterical or like weird, they'll remember it. And then that's that, you know, like it's, but even so, that it's like a splitting moment. And so we're splitting second. So yeah, yeah. just accept that um, like focusing on the right things. And a lot of that has to do with growth and adulthood, but um Definitely, I would agree, Morgan, that for sure is kind of a, a component of a taste of what she gets and it, the fact that it's soft and multiple ways and not just one epiphany moment. Because um, sometimes I think that that's not how, how it is for a lot of us. It's through intentional conversations, through prayer, through seeking the Lord, through, you know, whatever um, that kind of gets us to that point. Yeah. Yeah, I think the only other thing I would add is I feel like, I mean, for me, a big theme, I don't, I'm not a Austin like um, scholar, so I'm not going to argue with somebody if they tell me this is not a theme, but <laughs> for me, a theme is like, is, you know, perceptions, right? Is like, mm -hmm. is, is Darcy falls in love with Elizabeth, but he's battling this his perception of her and the way society sees her and the same Dar Elizabeth is in love with Darcy and she's battling her perception of him and the way society views him mm -hmm. and making judgments based on those. Um, and I think that really perfectly, that theme perfectly fits in like a high school environment because mm -hmm. you, it is hard to see people for like who they are and not for like who other people say they are or what category they've been put into. Yeah. Um, and so I think that really translated well to the setting that she wrote. And also I feel like that's a very biblical theme. Man mm -hmm. looks on the outward appearance and God looks on the heart. Yeah. And having sometimes having to wade through those things is like the hardest thing. Mm -hmm. Like using to lay down your yeah. pride and prejudices <laughs> and to see somebody for who they really are so that you can embrace them. Yeah. And that you can be also embraced. Yeah. You know? That's really powerful. Yeah. Romance or not. Romance or not, just in That's relationships, right. any relationship. Yep, absolutely. Wow, good stuff, ladies. Mm -hmm. stuff. Oh, wasn't that delightful? <laughs> <laughs> delightful. And now all I want to do is watch Pride and Prejudice movies. <laughs> and also a John Hughes film. Mm-hmm. Yes. Like maybe. Are there any of... 80s version, 80s Pride and Prejudice adaptations, Morgan, that would Strike our hand? No. Not in the yeah. 80s. There were there were adaptations that were made in the 80s, but, but just there are their like Regency, Regency adaptated adaptations, yeah. I don't think no, I want like the, the vibe of Back to the Future, but Pride and Prejudice, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Whoa, yes. Uh actually there is, I think, but oh, it might be 70s. It's um it's not it it's like a modern adaptation, but it was made like maybe the late 70s or 80s. But it is in um, uh, another language. language and not, and you can't find it. It's a foreign uh, film. It's a foreign film. Foreign TV oh, well. series. Okay. Maybe one day. Oh, Maybe well. Made in India. 
Well, okay. So like we said at the beginning, we have two more episodes for, of season two. Oh my goodness. And then we're done with season two. So our last, so we have one more book episode. Yes. And then we have a season two recap episode that's coming out. So our last book. Oh man. Of the season. We are so excited about it. It actually just came out today. Today. Right? Yep. <laughs> today. It is the um, new Julie Clausen novel, A Winter by the Sea, from the Devonshire Shores series. And we're so excited because it's actually going to be a hybrid episode. And we are oh chatting with Julie Clausen <laughs> on the pod. Ah, heard it I, here first. Don't miss it. I can't. So <laughs> I cannot even. I'm so excited. so excited. It's going to be so much fun. It's going to be amazing. So stay tuned for oh that, gosh. people. So much more to come. And yeah, we're excited to wrap up this season. And yeah, enjoyed this Pride and Prejudice retelling. And Yay. I'm sure that we're going to enjoy. This is going to be my first Julie Clauston novel. So I'm very excited. Yes, Yes, I love it. So many good books. All right. Well, thanks, listeners. We'll talk to you next time. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. Follow us on Instagram at Redeeming Lit Podcast and be sure to subscribe on Apple or Spotify so you don't miss any episodes. If you have any questions or book recommendations, email us at redeeminglitpodcast at gmail.com. Until next time, keep, keep it lit! lit.